I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit AbyssBattery.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. So what's the reason behind straight wall cartridges? Well, we're going to try to find out on this episode of Ron Spomer Outdoors Podcasts. Hello and welcome, everyone. We have got some questions from our listeners, and we have some corrections, too. And as always, I'm going to read the corrections first. This is one from James, and James says, Hey, Ron, you're still not getting it right on the 6.8 Western bullets. The five factory options are the 160-grain copper deer season and the 165-grain Nosler Acubond long range, which does have the highest BC. And then there are two 170-grain options, a 170-grain open-tip match bullet and the 170-ballistic silver-tip hunting load. And then there is the 175-grain Sierra-tipped Game King. Okay, I think James has those right. Thanks, James, for rounding them up for me. I didn't know about one or two of those, and I may have reported incorrectly on some of the other ones I take these things from my memory and not necessarily remembering them correctly every time. We appreciate the help. Now, this is from Seth, and he says, hey, on your main channel, he saw a video on the 350 uh, Legend versus the 3030. And he said, hey, the BC part number 30395, a.k.a. the 3030 160 grain FTX, you're losing me here, buddy, <laughs> is 0. .330. number is the sectional density of the 160 grain FTX. You want to, oh, I think I see where he's going here. So he's saying that in the video I did comparing the 350 Legend to the 33, I got a number wrong on the ballistics coefficient of the 160 grain FTX bullet. That is one of the highest, if not the highest, um, BCs of a 3030 cartridge bullet. That's got that rubber flexible tip so you can load it in the uh, tubular magazines, but it's not going to have any threat of setting off a primer from the recoil. And I got those numbers wrong. Yeah. All right. That's probably true. I thought that was an awfully low number, 0.241. That's the sectional density of that bullet. That is not the same as the BC. So my numbers on my bullet just calculations then were off as a result 
might have to redo that. So, oh man, as I always say, double check all my numbers and every other number. I've even found incorrect numbers in some of the hand loading manuals over the years. I mean, it's just, that's life with typos. You go to publishing and you try to correct everything and get it edited and sometimes you miss it. All right, here is a question from one of our Patreons. This is uh, Paul. And he says, hey, I've been playing around with the LVPO optics. Now, I had to stop and think, what the heck is this? I hate acronyms. There are too many of them. It's a military thing, I think. What is an LVPO optic? Uh, stands for low variable power optic. So what they're saying is essentially you've got a scope that is a variable power adjustment, but it's not getting up there to 12 power, 15 power, 20 power. It's low, like 6 power, 8 power at the max. So that is the LVB, LVPO. All right, so he's uh, playing around with them on his bold action rifles. Here in the Catskills, it is a perfect combination for deer and bear. The 1 to 10X on offer from several optics companies has really caught my eye. I know it would be fine as frog share here at home, but as I plan for several Western hunts, I wonder if you think it would be, if I would be handicapped with a maximum power on my scope of 10X. My maximum comfortable shooting range on game is 450 yards. Most of the time, I end up taking game at about 10x on my other variable scopes. But the true 1x is a game chamber in certain situations. So what do I think about all that? All right. Paul, I think uh, your low variable scope option is perfectly fine. And I don't even think you need to go to 10x to make a 450-yard shot. I mean, most of us these days like a little more power. Uh, I know my wife really appreciates it, and I kind of enjoy it myself, but I also am old school enough to know that I can hit game out to 400, 450 yards if I have the right rifle and I'm set up properly and I shoot correctly. But if I only have a scope that goes up to about 6x, I can still make that shot. Um, I've done 450-yard shots, not very often farther than that, but a few times, but I do remember making some. 400 yard shots at seven power and six power and some 450 at eight power. So it can be done, but you may enjoy more power. So go for it. You can find scopes these days that are zooming up that high. You've got the five X zoom ranges, the six X zoom ranges now. And I think there are even some eight X zoom range scopes out there like the uh, Swarovski Z8 series. I don't know that I often need that much zoom range, but if you want an all-purpose scope that can really cover the waterfront, that's a great way to go. So, um, yeah, I think you're going to be fine out west with a max power of, of 10x. I really can't see where there's any problem. Just remember, at 10x, that means everything you're looking at through that scope is going to appear to be 10 times closer. So uh, 450 yards away animal, 10 times closer than that, it's going to look pretty darn big, right? <laughs> so you should be able to handle it. Now, I do have something to say about the 1X. I just don't understand why anyone needs to go down to 1X. I mean, if you like it, you like it. But I have used it, tried it, and I just don't see any huge advantage in that over, say, 2X. A two-power scope, to me, I can throw that rifle and scope up and easily find my game at any distance <laughs> it's not very often i shoot deer or anything else at 10 feet but boy at 20 yards 2x i've got the whole deer in the scope and i can make my shot easily 
I would advise anyone thinking about this to really get a 1x scope and compare it directly with a 2x or even a one and a half. And a lot of one and a half to sixes and one and a half to eights in that sort of power range are a lot more common and affordable. So really check it out. Um, get a deer sized target or whatever you plan on hunting with that really wide objective you're looking for, the, the wild field of view, that wide field of view is important to you. Really check it out to understand fully because I just don't have any trouble getting my game in the scope at close range at 2x or even 4x for that matter. All right, Paul, I hope that helped you out and good luck with your scope choice. Here is uh, another patron. Uh, this is Randy and he says, hey, I really enjoy your content and I look forward to more on rifles, cartridges and hunting. <laughs> All right, we'll try to get them to you. Hey, I have a rifle project that I'm planning on putting together and I'd like your opinion and feedback. I have a Winchester Model 70 Extreme Weather Stainless Synthetic N270 Winchester. I had one of those for a while. Great rifle. I have watched your videos on the 6.8 Western and all of the new cartridges that have those long, heavy, high BC bullets. I'm thinking of sending my rifle to Rifles Inc. and having him put a fast twist barrel, uh, one and eight twist, on a 270 Winchester on my rifle. My reasoning is that the 270 Winchester is ubiquitous and ammunition is easy to find everywhere, but this will allow my rifle to handle the new bullets that are out and any new ones that come out in 270 Winchester. Well, that sounds like a pretty sensible option right there. Um, a lot of guys have been wanting faster twists in their 270 Winchesters to shoot some of these new 277 bullets that are out. Um, and you know, it's a little bit more of a hassle than just buying a 6.8 Western, which is already set up to shoot those. But hey, if you love your 270 and you want to put a, a new barrel on, go for it. Uh, should work out just fine. Now, you're going to have some issues with your hand loads in those really long bullets because, of course, the bullet is going to extend down past the junction of the neck and shoulder. And that means it's going to not only protrude into the powder space, but if you hand load enough, you get this donut built up on the inside, right at that junction. The brass tends to build up right there. So when you seat your bullet, you've got a certain neck tension until you hit that little extra ring of donut down there at the junction. And that increases the tension on your bullet. And that will change the uh, potential for the pressures to rise in your chamber. So you have to watch out for that. Um, other than that, shouldn't be any kind of a problem, and I think it'll do pretty well for you. So good luck. All right, let's see what else we have here. Oh, boy. This is the straight wall cartridge question I started off with. This gentleman asks, oh, this came from my main channel, and he asks, what's the reasoning behind the straight wall cartridge restrictions? Ha, good question. Many of us puzzled about that one. So there are certain states in the Midwest, especially, where you have restrictions on what you can shoot. Their shotgun-only states have been for a long time. Why would they go shotgun-only and not allow deer rifles for deer hunting? Well, they were afraid of the potential reach of a cartridge uh, throwing a bullet, say a 270 throwing 130-grain bullet. That can easily go three miles or more. So they're thinking, oh my gosh, we're going to have all these guys out in the woods flinging bullets into the air that might sail down the road three, four miles and hit a house or a barn or a horse or a person. So how are we going to stop that? Well, shotgun slugs don't go that fast. 
and they slow down fairly quickly, they don't shoot nearly as far. Let's just limit it to shotgun slugs only. Well, that sounded pretty good, except states right next door did allow rifles, and they didn't seem to have any more trouble than the ones who did not. So there's a question about the validity of that, but that's basically where it's come from. Now, where does the straight wall rifle cartridge come in? Well, they figured out that the good old straight wall cartridges, unlike the modern bottleneck cartridges, do not throw their bullets that fast because it's a full diameter bullet and it's fairly heavy because of that. So you don't have the powder supply in the back of that thing to drive it, unless you have a really, really, really long case, which most of them don't. So that's why they went with that straight wall restriction. They thought, okay, we can allow these guys to shoot the straight wall cartridges because they don't fly as far as a 270 or a 30 out 6 or a 243 or any of the modern cartridges. And they've gradually been opening that up a little more um, to allow more and more of these straight wall cartridges. And now some of them are even getting smart and they're starting to specify certain bottleneck cartridges that aren't going to be potentially that dangerous because the upside to the fast bottleneck cartridges like say the 243 Winchester is that those bullets are going so fast and they're so small that they tend to break up when you hit the ground or rocks or trees or different things so there's really less likelihood of ricochet with a bigger heavier bullet you'll get from say a 4570 or a 12-gauge slug, those things have the potential to really do some ricocheting and bouncing around, and that's potentially as dangerous as possibly sending a bullet above a skyline for two or three miles, and who knows where it's going to land. Now, I do want to emphasize that there are not very many cases of bullets striking anything or anybody. Now, rarely it happens. Most Accidental firearm situations in hunting seasons are a result of close interactions. Pulling a, a gun out of a vehicle or a boat or something that is loaded. You should never have a loaded firearm in a vehicle or in a duck blind. You know, Close quarters and people are ducking and moving around and things like that. It's always a matter of muzzle control. You have got to keep your muzzle pointed in a safe direction at all times. Um, and that seems to be where the injuries are. But the really upside of it is that thanks to the hunter education programs that started back in probably the 1950s, we have really cut down on any kind of accidental firearms shootings, especially in the hunting fields. It, we've all taken it seriously to our credit, and we teach new shooters and young shooters how to do things properly and safely. And I think this is just absolutely wonderful because the, the accidental shooting rates have gone down and down and down consistently for decades. And I've seen figures where, that say it's safer to go hunting than it is to play football <laughs> or basketball even. So a lot of things to think about there. But that's basically where this straight wall cartridge stuff came in. They were just concerned about the potential for bullets to fly too far. All right, good question. Now, this is one from Zebra, who is listening to one of my podcasts, and he said, asks, Hey, I need a video on the 6.5-06. Seems like a cool round, but I don't see many people working with it at all. Is there a reason why? Yeah, mostly because there are not very many rifle manufacturers who chamber for it. You almost always have to go custom. And there are not that many ammo manufacturers who are loading it, even though it is an official 
commercial cartridge now. Uh, it'd been a wildcat for a long, long time, and it is a great round. So it's the 30 6 neck down to hold a 0.264-inch diameter bullet, a 6.5. So similar ones uh, give you similar ballistics out there now would be the uh, 6.5 PRC, maybe the 6.5 RPM from Weatherby. Um, this 6.5-06 will be uh, about as fast as or a little faster than the 6.5 by 284 Norma which is another great little round I really like. So yeah, it's quite viable as a deer cartridge. A lot of folks will use it on elk, and I even used one on a moose one time. And just a 120 grain bullet, one shot, and I got a big bull moose. Turned out to be 12 years old. I had to send the tooth in to the authorities up there in British Columbia who were doing studies on, on the moose herd. And they uh, section the tooth and they count the growth rings inside of the tooth, the same as you would a tree, and determine that that moose, bull moose, was 12 years old, living up in the wilderness with cougars and wolves and grizzly bears. That's quite <laughs> an accomplished moose to survive that long. But he didn't survive a little 120 grains of copper <laughs> from that bullet. All right, here's a question. And this one came from my rent main channel on YouTube, Ron Spomer Outdoors, from Martin, and he asked, Ron, maybe you can answer this question. I can't find the answer anywhere, so this is my question. I have two different brands of 270 Winchester. They both have the same BC, which is .392. One is a little bit faster, muzzle velocity by 85 feet per second. Do you think they will have the same trajectory? No, I do not. <laughs> and that's a pretty easy one, Martin, because... Trajectory is a result of the bullet's BC and its muzzle velocity. If both of those are identical, the trajectory will be identical. And it doesn't even really matter if the diameter of the bullet is the same or the cartridge that throws it. You could have been a 30 at 6, it could have been a 243, a 6mm Creedmoor. As long as you've got the same BC in your bullet and the same muzzle velocity in that bullet, you're going to get exactly the same drops and drifts but you will have more energy with the heavier bullet. It'll carry more energy downrange, have more momentum. So, yeah, that's the situation there. Good luck with your 270. What do we have here? Mr. Clay. Clay asks, what is the best twist rate for a 30-06 Springfield? Good old 30-06. Oh, I'd say about 1 in 10. Most of them are built with a 1 in 10 twist, and that will handle bullets as heavy as 220 grains if it's a round nose. Now, do remember that twist rate is determined or the need for a certain twist rate is determined by the length of the bullet, not the weight. We've always referred to it as weight because back in the day, most bullets were pretty standard. Spire points were spire points. They had flat bases and spire point noses, but they didn't have these radical new forms that we're getting with our high, high BC, very low drag bullets. So the twist rate of one in 10 would stabilize a fairly short 220 grain round nose. Um, and then you can go as light as 100 grains and still stabilize them. They don't shoot quite as accurately as they say 130 up to 180 grain bullets, but that's pretty remarkable, that long spread of weights that you can handle with a one in 10 twist in the 30 calibers, but nah, that'll do it, man. Now do know that the faster you throw those bullets, um, the little less of a twist rate you need to stabilize them. So, for instance, if you had that 220 grain bullet 
in the 30 at 6 and it wasn't quite stabilizing, if you increased the twist rate to 1 in 9, it would. Or if you decreased the length of the bullet, it would. Or if you loaded it in, say, a 300 wind mag or a 3378 weathery magnum and drove it faster, then it would probably stabilize. It's not a huge advantage, but there's a little bit to be gained there by having more velocity. All right, good question, Clay. Here is Arthur. Ron, I want to go on a pronghorn hunt next fall. Take me with you if you would. I'd love that myself. My first time hunting out west, so I live in Michigan. It's a shotgun and straight wall cartridge state. Uh, therefore, the only long-range rifle I own is a Savage in 300 Winchester Magnum. I reload my own ammo, and I currently have a 165-grain SST load that shoots really well, but this seems too aggressive for pronghorn. I was thinking the same thing. The Hornaday reloading, the Hornady, excuse me, guys, for saying Hornaday. It's just some habit I got in years ago, but it's Hornady officially. The Hornady reloading manual has a recipe for a 110 grain bullet for the 300 wind mag that I'm thinking about trying. Hoo-hoo. In your opinion, is it worth my time and money to develop this new 110 grain load for my rifle, or should I stick with the 165 grain load that I already have? Well, this is fun. There are a few guys who do this, and I've played around with it myself, and it's kind of fun, but I really don't think it is worth your time. A couple of reasons. One, the 110-grain bullet is going to create a lot of damage when it lands. You know, it's going so fast, and it's so light and fairly frangible that I think you could tear up as much or more meat with it than the 165-grain. Now, this Hornady SST bullet is fairly soft, and it mushrooms a lot at high velocities. So if you're driving it with that 300 wind mag, yeah, you can expect a lot of damage on your uh, animal unless you miss all the major bones and muscles. I would go for a tight behind the shoulder shot and make it precise. You hit that shoulder and you're not going to have a lot left in most cases. You might get lucky. Sometimes you don't get that much bloodshot meat, but boy, I've seen some of those big 30 caliber bullets, fairly frangible like that, literally tear uh, an animal in half. I hit a pronghorn once in the backbone, shot a little bit high with this new 300 that had come out that I was experimenting with. <laughs> and boy, it was like <laughs> hanging on by a thread. Lost a lot of delicious meat on that deal. So I try to keep my shots tight behind the shoulder and low, go for the top of the heart if you can. And then that 165 grain SST at any velocity isn't going to be a problem. Um, just stay off of the meat. But the other advantage to the bigger bullet here is the wind deflection issue. Pronghorn country is usually windy country. If you get a nice calm day, more power to you. But gosh, I've been out there sometimes when the wind's blowing 30 miles an hour. And you try to target an animal in a wind like that at any distance past about 150 yards. And it becomes extremely difficult. The higher the BC of your bullet, the better chance you have of minimizing that wind deflection. Um, and the 165 SSD is a pretty high BC bullet, so it's going to help you to def deflect some of that wind deflection. You're going to reduce it, whereas a 110 grain bullet has a pretty low BC. That one's going to be deflected off course a lot more by the winds. So that'd be another reason not to use it. As far as taking a pronghorn, a 110 grain bullet will be more than adequate. I have taken pronghorn with 55 grain bullets out of 22 250s. A lot of folks will use that and swear by it too. So it's not a real big animal. 
not real stout. So smaller, lighter bullets can really do the job on them. But, you know, even those can create a lot of uh, bloodshot meat and damage if you land in the wrong place. So really, I do emphasize extreme accuracy and precision shooting. That should do the trick. Now, here is one from Anonymous. I see that guy every once in a while. I inherited a custom rifle from my grandfather. Cool. I know that it's a Mauser action. It has a heavier barrel and a beautiful stock. And it was originally chambered for the 253,000, as Grandpa used to call it, which I think is the same as the 250 Savage. Please correct me if I'm wrong. No correction necessary. Same one. Yep. Now, I had it rechambered for a 25-06 due to the availability of factory ammo. Grandpa used to hand load, which I do not yet. Um, I put a modern loophole scope on it, and I tried to zero it. This was built to be a precision rifle, but my groups were horrible. My dad suggested I use the lightest possible bullet I can find since Grandpa built it to be more of a target environment rifle than anything. The only respectable groups I could get were from 90 grain bullets. The only available manufacturer I can find is Hornady. I'd love to shoot a deer with this. I feel like 90 grain 25-06 might be a little light, though. What are your thoughts? Well, I think it's definitely not too light. You don't have to worry about that. Um, I once shot a black bear with a 100 grain bullet in a 257 Weatherby, a little faster than the 25-06. And not only did it kill the bear, before it got to the bear, it had to get through about a three-inch thick alder limb that I hit. I was trying to shoot just under it, and I smacked it dead center, and that bullet went through, still got the bear. So there's plenty of energy in a 90-grain bullet out of a 25-06 because they're driving them really fast. I'd keep my shots under 100, 400 yards probably at the max with that bullet. Um, and you're going to have a little more wind deflection issue with the 90 grain than 115, 117 grain bullets with higher BCs. But no, you're going to definitely have what it takes to take a mule deer, whitetail, pronghorn, sheep, those, those size animals with it. But I think what you need to think about is the twist rate of this rifle. Getting back to our previous uh, letter talking about twist rates, I'm thinking the reason it's not accurate is your grandpa set it up for varmint bullets and he had a slower twist put in it. So you want to check on that. You should be looking at about a 1 in 9 twist um, on your 25-06. And it probably has a 1 in 12 or 1 in 11. Um, 1 in 10 might be adequate. Uh, a lot of them have 1 in 10s. But, boy, if you can get one with more twist, you're going to be able to stabilize heavier bullets. But before you do that, if you want to keep this rifle for tradition, for what it is, and all the rest of it, I think you're going to find your accuracy with even shorter bullets than this 90 grain check out some of the 87 grains and the 85 grains and see how accurate those are um i think you can even get down to a 75 grain in 25 and that would be a varmint bullet that your grandpa might have been using back when and he might have it optimized for a bullet that short so do try some of those really really light short bullets and uh, see what they do for you because i'm guessing your twist rate is probably fairly slow Okay. Well, by the way, you can determine the twist rate with a tight patch on a jag in your cleaning rod. So you wrap some uh, your patch around. A, well, I usually use a brush because it holds on. And you get pretty tight so that when you shove it in, the rod wants to spin. And if you have ball bearing rod that does spin, you just need to get it started, 
put a little mark right there where you started it, right at the muzzle, and then push it in until that mark has come clean around. So you've got one complete cycle. And then you pull it out, or you mark that spot, then pull it out, and you can measure the distance from your first mark to your finished mark, and you'll know the inches. It might be 9, 10, 11, 12. That's how you determine the twist rate in a barrel. This is from Josh. Hello, and thank you for all your videos. You're most welcome, Josh. In my family, my grandparents hunted, but the skill was lost during my parents' generation. I'm bringing it back so my sons will have the opportunity to participate in this fine tradition. Good for you, man. If you were a beginning hunter in Colorado, are there any outfitters or guides out there that you think would be good for helping novice hunters? Hmm. For those who really wish to learn more than just drive out and shoot something. Yeah, great. Hey, I applaud you for what you're doing here with your boys, Josh. And you're wise to seek out a mentor. I don't know that I want to recommend any particular guys because I might miss somebody <laughs> and they'll, they'll be mad at me for not mentioning them. And I might mention somebody who has, since I was working with them, who knows how many years ago, gone off the rails or something. And I'd hate to steer you wrong because this sometimes happens to people, you know. So, but what could you do? Boy, I know I would look into any kind of local gun clubs, rifle clubs, and or hunting clubs and ask around. You've got to get to know folks who are our hunters um, because some of them are just wonderful about helping out young people and showing them the ropes. But you also want to find the right person, the right match for, for you and your kids, your family's traditions and your attitudes and because some guys are really aggressive and it's all about kill them harder and faster and better. And other guys are, are more about the traditions and uh, soaking it in and really enjoying the whole experience, being out in nature and studying the animals and all that good stuff. So you got to kind of find somebody who, who fits in with your philosophy of hunting. Um, so you need to seek that out. Now you can get your basic information on how to do and all the rest of it from books and magazines and oh there are organizations like the nra and the shooting sportsman's foundation and different places that oh even pheasants forever and ducks unlimited and stuff usually have some pretty good information about basic gun handling and safety and hunting etiquette and things like that maybe check out the boone and crockett club i think they have some good educational materials as well and i'm sure i'm missing a whole bunch of organizations that do a great job but I think you get the idea. You, you've got to get involved in that entire community of hunting and conservation. So, yeah, find yourself an older gentleman who has the, the right philosophy, something that you agree with. And I think you're going to have a, a pretty good person to help both you and your boys get out hunting and doing it right. All right. Stu has a question. You see, the good old government of the Great White North is planning... <laughs> I think we're talking about Canada here. The good old government of the Great White North is planning on taking away my SKS, which I use for brush hunting. The SKS is an auto-loading. Uh, <laughs> they don't allow auto-loaders anywhere up there. I do have a 30-06 for my long-range hunting, but I was he's wanting something for his brush hunting here. So I'm thinking of getting a bolt-action rifle that can handle all this 7.62 by 39 ammo that I've got. That's what the SKS shoots. It's a Russian round, fairly short, comparable to, say, 30-30 in performance, except for it has pointy bullets, so it just does a little better downrange. 
I have heard of the Ruger American Ranch and the CZ600, which I can't find in Canada yet, <laughs> given Canada's direction right now. You probably never will. What do you think of these two rifles? And do you have any other suggestions for this cartridge? First of all, I have to announce my bias against this cartridge. Um, yeah, it's it's a great little 30-30 class cartridge, but right now I'm sort of down on Russia for all the nasty things you're doing in the world. So I don't get real excited about their ammunition or the cartridges they created. But I, in all honesty, it's a it's a fine cartridge. It's been around forever and ever, but it's it's also shot a lot of American soldiers. So I'm not real crazy about it. Um, but uh, on a more pragmatic level, what do I think of these two rifles that are shooting it? You know, when you when you wrote and I read Ruger American Ranch, I immediately thought, well, the ranch rifle that's like the, the Mini 14. That was the ranch rifle that I was familiar with, but I guess now they have this new American bold action rifle in a short, handy ranch model. I think it has a shorter barrel on it, so it's real handy to keep in the truck, and when you're out and you see a coyote attacking the sheep or something, you can whip it out. So that, I think, would be a, a fine option. Um, the shorter barrel wouldn't hurt you with that short powder burn in that little cartridge. You should get a good complete burn with a short barrel. I don't know if those barrels are 18 inches or 19 or 20 or whatever, but that particular American style bold action has a good reputation. It's been around for a fair number of years now, and it's really held up well, proven itself. I had one in a 30 out sex, and it was surprisingly accurate, extremely accurate, actually, for an inexpensive rifle. So, yeah, I can stand behind that one. As for the CZ600, I have not worked with that one yet. Um, I, I loved all the old CZs that were built on the Mauser style action, but they gave that up for a one that was more economical to produce, the 600. And I haven't really studied that one yet to know what it does. But I do respect what CZ does in building its firearms. I think they just do a great job. They seem to have pretty high quality with whatever they make. And I think you probably do all right with either one of those rifles. So, yeah. That's what I suggest about your 7x62x39SKS cartridge. And good luck selling that rifle. <laughs> I'm sure your government will pay for it. All right, here's uh looks like our last question for the day from Alec. And he asks, what is your preferred caliber for deer? Oh, boy, this one again. A lot of folks want to know what my preferred this and that's are. And I kind of hesitate to always answer that. Because I don't want you guys and gals, uh, I don't want anyone out there to think that something I recommend is the absolute greatest and bestest. Just because I like it doesn't mean you will. Now, I generally try to stick with things that work or that I have proven to work for me. But there's plenty of other ones that work just as well and other people prefer those. So I will say this. I think the 7mm is the perfect bullet diameter for deer. And this is mule deer, whitetail, or sheep, goats, anything in that same general size. It just seems to me that the 7mm bullet diameter, that's 0.284 inch, strikes the perfect balance between recoil, reach, wind deflection, and energy downrange. It just falls kind of right in the middle. Um, it works fine for elk and moose and bears and most African plains game too, if you give it enough velocity because that increases its energy. Um, but it also can be toned down and used for um, 
varmint hunting coyotes with the lighter bullets. You can keep bullets as light as 100 grains, I think, in the 7 millimeter. And you can go as heavy now as 195. So you've got everything it takes in the 7 millimeter. Now for deer, I think the 7 millimeter 08 Remington is a wonderful option. It's in a short action. So it can be made in a pretty short, handy, responsive little rifle. Um, but you can also stick a 24 to 26 inch barrel on it, get a little more velocity as a result and make it a longer range performer. But it just is another good middle of the road balance here. Not too big, not too small. Another good one would be the 757 Mauser, which does almost the same thing. Um, in a long action, the 280 Remington was good, but very few people chamber for that one anymore. And then you get up into your your magnums, you got the short magnums, you got the, the long magnums, and they really have more power than is necessary. I always think of magnums as I think everyone should. It's not magnum for more power. The value in a magnum is more reach. The power is more than sufficient. You mean that 7mm 08 Remington, that it's based on a 308 Winchester, so you're not throwing, well, you're probably burning 48 grains of powder in it to throw 150 grain bullet about 2,850 feet per second. That is fast enough with that bullet in a high BC configuration to reach uh, probably, probably 700 yards and still retain 1,000 foot-pounds of energy in that bullet. And for elk, if you want to have a little more energy, they always say 1,500 foot-pounds for elk, you'll get out to around 470 yards with that one out of a little 708. I mean, how many of us shoot our elk at 450 yards? We're generally getting a lot closer. And the same with our deer. So you really don't have to go to a big, hard-kicking rifle to do it. So I would definitely go with that 7mm 08 Remington or anywhere right in that wheelhouse. Now, if you want something even a little bit lighter and you don't ever think you're going to want to ch chase elk or anything bigger than deer, um, you can look at the 6.5s because they, they do a wonderful job as well. Not that much narrower of a bullet, 0.264 instead of 0.284, so big deal. And there again, you get some really efficient cartridges like the 260 Remington, the 6.5 Creedmoor, uh, 6.5 by 55 Swede. If you want to go a little faster, you got the PRC and uh, just a lot of good options there. And again, you're shooting 120 to 140 grain bullets. With the 708, you got 120 to 150 or 60 grain bullets. Um, just, just pretty much classic for whitetail hunting. For someone who is really sensitive about recoil, I can, I can stand behind the 24s. 20, like a 243 Winchester, six millimeter Remington, which is fading away, uh, being kind of replaced by the six millimeter Creedmoor now. But they're all doing roughly the same thing. 100 grain bullet going 3,000 feet per second, more or less. Uh, plenty for deer if you hit them in the right place and use the right bullet. And if you use the right bullet, you can even kind of hit them in the wrong place. A raking shot where you have to get through a lot more material before you get to the vitals. With the right bullet, even that little 243 can do it. Um, but of course, we always recommend you take a perfect shot. So... <laughs> Um, those would be my recommendations. I'm sure plenty of folks out there think I'm full of it and they would recommend something else. And if you're one of those, send it in. I'll be happy to share what you think is the absolute best for deer hunting. But uh, that's kind of where I fall down. And that looks like we're out of time, folks. I do want to thank you for joining us once again. 
and send in those questions and corrections, and we'll read them on the air and see what we can come up with next time on Ron Spomer Outdoors Podcast. An honest and shoot straight. Thank you.